we're talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. And today we're talking specifically about work and the wrong reason why you're doing something. When I was growing up, I saw some of the extremely long hours that my dad uh, had to do away from home. I heard him leaving early in the morning and I saw him return late in the evening, exhausted from the day, just wanting to collapse into his lazy boy chair and watch some telly. He worked in a place that caused him to be taken twice to hospital, almost dead due to breathing difficulties, which were created by the ozone which was generated and just hung around in a confined space. Uh, that combined with his asthma just meant he ended up in, in hospital twice. How he was unappreciated by the new management and how they tried to manage him out of a job. And they succeeded. When he finally left through frustration, he was already in his mid-50s and he was heartbroken. Um, he had put everything into that. As it was, they couldn't find anyone to properly replace him anyway. So there. So his skills as an, as an offset plate maker, they'd been superseded by new technology and no one wanted to hire a man at that age with those skills. Okay. So I also saw the work that my mum, who was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis in her hands and feet, that she had to basically provide for her family. And I don't know exactly what she was paid, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't very much, and that she had a lot of extra time that she needed to use to meet her quotas. So neither of my parents were well-educated, so the skills that they had were the ones that they had. Uh, what both of them knew was that you looked after your family, and you made sure they had what they needed. They supported us in our sports, and they were like second parents to our friends. But seeing their experience of work did not excite me. Uh, if work is just to keep food on the table, or so that you are not a burden to others, then that was not enough for me. Reality caught up and bills needed to be paid. I knew of people who knew exactly what they wanted to do, but I had no clue. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do something of value that was significant, so I worked for charities, thinking that if I didn't get paid well, at least my work would have some meaning. I knew that I had the brains to be a lawyer, <laughs> but I managed to talk myself out of it because I'd watched too many fictional legal programs on TV and thought that being a lawyer uh, meant collecting giant incomes whilst compromising everything. I've since learnt that that is not true <laughs> throughout human history. So they can choose to be like a Daniel or like a serpent in this Babylon, but they still have a choice, and if they choose to be a Daniel, then their work is good. So long story short, I had a very warped view of work, and I know I'm not alone. Even if your experience is one of vast financial success, social recognition and with positive effects for your clients, you can still have a warped sense of work and I guarantee that you will be tested on it. We need to have a theology of work that digs its way into the fundamentals of who God is and who we uh, to what it means to be made in the image of God and he took us through Genesis 1 and 2 and if you have got your Bibles, if you want to follow along you can, I'll just be reading a bunch out anyway. 
So I'm going to visit that again because it does hold vital keys for what our main topic is today. Now, Genesis is an ancient document written to an ancient and alien people. They do not know your language or your ways. Their assumptions about the world were not formed by 2,000 years of Christian influence, the age of reason, the industrial revolution, 13 years of basic academic schooling, supermarkets, or a wilderness that they could visit the beings that they believe ruled that world. Only the gods could provide any form of order. They were already familiar with gods that accidentally made humans, or who would create them to be slaves, or wanted little to do with them. The images of their gods sat on altars and demanded sacrifices of their children to bring a harvest. The images of their gods are the kings and rulers that lord it over those lesser people in the name of those same gods. These images of the gods are judged on whether calamity befalls their city or whether it prospers, whether the harvest is good or poor. Who's in charge? What's their character? What is our relationship to them? And what do they demand? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as Jonathan mentioned, the poetry from the picture that flows from that uh, is basically where the first three days are used to separate and form domains and the next three days to fill and assign dominion of those domains. So it uses all six days to bring order from chaos and then to create from both nothing and from what is already created. So the earth begins both as formless and empty, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The empty realms of night and day, and God creates in the watery vault of the sky above to separate day from night, uh, lights. And there to be signs marking sacred times, days and years, to shed light on the earth. And he made two great lights, one to govern the day, one to govern the night, and he made the stars. On day two, the separation of the vault of the waters above from the waters below means that you have the creation of the realms of the sea and sky. And on day five, we return to those empty realms of the sea and sky. And God makes the waters teem with living creatures and the birds to fill the water in the seas and for the birds to increase on the earth. On day three, the gathering of the waters under the sky to one place and the separation of the dry ground, the land, from it. And God has the land produce vegetation capable of breeding and bearing seeds and fruit. And so you have the creation of the realm of the land. And then on day six, we return to that empty realm. And God makes the land to produce living creatures, livestock, wild beasts, and all the creatures that move along the ground, and all of them he makes capable of breeding. And then God says, Let us make mankind duck and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so he creates them in his image, male and female he creates them. And then he commissions them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then he provisions them and the creatures of the earth with the produce of the land. 
when God saw all that he had made, rather than just saying, and it was good, he says, it was very good. Chapter 2 of Genesis begins saying that the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast. Now, chapter 2, verse 4, starts with the second account of creation. And this account does not strictly adhere to the creation order of Genesis 1. But the creation order of Genesis 1 was designed to show God as the great creator and as one who tames chaos and brings structure and order. So it uses a format to do that. So it's there to establish the relationship of humanity to God and to the rest of creation. Chapter 2 verse 4 begins, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprang up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth's nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It then describes God planting a garden in Eden, and this is where he places the man. God places all kinds of trees that look good and are good for food in that garden. The garden is watered by a river, and he puts the man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. He places a prohibition on the use of that garden, forbidding the eating, the eating of a fruit of a specific tree, and provides the reason why you should not eat it. And from his creation of the man, he then forms the woman to be a true partner. People, what have you learned from these stories? Well, what were the questions that they were asking at the beginning? Who's in charge? What is their character? What is our relationship to them? And what do they demand? So who's in charge? It's pretty easy. It's God. No one else is involved in the initial creation. God made everything, and even the sun and moon, who are gods to almost every other culture, are just lights to him. So God has authority over everything. So what is God's character? Well, you can tell us. He is creative. He values, delights in, and takes part in work. He provides a beautiful garden home for humanity to live in. And he gives humanity work to do in that garden home. He provides good food for humanity to eat. And he provides resources for the care and provisioning of the rest of the creatures. He establishes boundaries to protect humanity in their home and place of work. Do not eat of this fruit. He establishes a day to enjoy the fruits of those labors, having completed them, and it's a day that he calls holy. And so what is the human relationship to God then? All of humanity is given dominion over the other creatures that God has made and over the land. This is as caretakers and managers of our God's resources with direct responsibility for their care to God. As we are made in the image of God, we are to take the world and continue work on this creation and present it as worship to God. We're not just leaving it as it is, but we improve on it. We till the earth. We are co-creators, managers and priests. Everyone, also all your animals, to someone that you brought into the world, that must be because they're your child. 
So we are his children. So what does God demand? God's demands are in the role that he's given us as his managers of creation. It is a light yoke, and the burden is light because in that role, he's also given us a means to eat, a place to live, a place to grow, a capable partner like us, children to care for and enjoy, and a land to enjoy and make better. He even produces saints and read the scriptures to find their answers. We can now ask our questions because we have a better idea of what's relevant to us. Our question today is what does being made in the image of God mean for how we should approach work? Well, being good little Christian reflectors of God's glory and his character, we model ourselves on him and in so doing, care for the rest of the world that he created for ourselves and for those we're with. And it all brings glory to God. Now, I have a list of some of the things that God does and how we can reflect. So when we bring order from chaos, and we create structure in the world, it reminds me of administrators, reminds me of cleaners, leaders, gardeners, politicians, counselors, doctors, police. When we use our gifts of intellect and creativity to create things anew, and from what is already made, we separate, choose, and improve upon, you have designers, you have inventors, engineers, musicians, architects, and artists. When we value and delight in the work of our hands, some people make a career out of that. You have writers and reviewers, but you also have others who are like coaches, who have seen new things happen, delighting in seeing people learn new skills. When you create a beautiful home to live in, that's homemakers, that's builders, that's interior decorators. When you provide good food for humanity, that's your mums and dads. That's food truck drivers, chefs, grocery store workers. When we care for the rest of creation and provide for its needs because we're responsible to God for it. Watering, health and safety people, driving instructors, land transport New Zealand workers. When things go wrong, we do not abandon God's creation just like he didn't abandon us. But we find a way to fix it, and that's everyone's responsibility. We also delegate responsibility in work. God delegated to us. So you have leaders, managers, business owners, parents. We seek true partnerships, learning to work with others well and form agreements where everyone benefits. Anyone who's married, I imagine, has a good grasp on that. And then anyone who is a struggle but also leaving them some resources to continue for the next generation. And we rest in the knowledge that the work we have created is very good and that we've done very good work. Now, the fact is that what I've just said is all fine and wonderful, but it's also not reality for some or possibly most of us. 
But what this list does do is let us know what the right thing is so that we can aim for it. And we're not alone in aiming for it. God's with us. And so we can take others with us as well towards it. It means that knowing that work is ordained by of other creatures of the world that we've been given and that we are responsible to God for the care of it and that God provides us with the means and the right to benefit from that work.